And let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. We are beginning a series on what are called the Hallelujah Psalms, the last five Psalms, 146 through 150. They are called the Hallelujah Psalms because they all begin and end with Hallelujah. Kids, you can look at your Bible or look at your mom or dad's Bible. The very beginning of the psalm says, praise the Lord. And the very end of the psalm also says, praise the Lord. That's the translation of hallelujah. And I think it'll be good for us to focus on these psalms of praise over the next several weeks together because we all struggle with the tendency to focus more on ourselves than we do on our God in everyday life, and these psalms, I think, can help us to grow and to mature in that area, to become more God-centered in our lives, to praise the Lord with our lives, and Psalm 146 is a wonderful, wonderful psalm to begin with. We sing it often together as we did this evening, hallelujah, praise Jehovah, O my soul. It is about trusting God, not man. Put not your trust in princes is the uninspired heading at the top of my Bible. Perhaps yours is something similar. And we all have a tendency to put our trust in man in different ways. To look to other people for the help and the hope of salvation that only the Lord can give us. We'll think about that together. We'll also consider the blessedness of putting our trust in the Lord. Also, all the reasons we are given in this psalm for putting our trust in him. There are so many reasons that come come very fast, especially in the middle part of the psalm. And when we trust in him, we praise him. That's what we're being called upon to do in this particular psalm. We praise him and we give him glory as the only one who is ultimately trustworthy. So trust God, not man, is the sort of burden of the psalm. And I pray that the Lord will use the psalm to help us grow in our ability to do that. Let's pray and ask for God's help and we'll begin. God, we thank you for giving us such a wonderful psalm, such a wonderful collection of psalms here at the end of the book of Psalms. And we pray now that as we give our attention to Psalm 146 that you would use it to help us grow in our ability to put our trust in you our praiseworthy God. We pray that you would show us the ways we tend to put our trust in man and change our hearts, Lord, so that we become more and more a people who will praise the Lord as long as we live, as long as we have our being. Work in us now by the power of your spirit through the reading and the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 146, this is God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope 
is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. As you can see in your sermon notes there, there are three main points in this psalm. First, praise the Lord in verses 1 and 2. Then don't put your trust in princes or in man, verses 3 and 4. And finally, put your trust in God, verses 5 through 10. This is a hallelujah psalm, so it begins with hallelujah, as you can see in verse 1 there. It begins, praise the Lord. And here the psalmist is actually addressing the congregation Praise is an imperative verb that's plural here. He's calling the congregation to praise the Lord. This is a call to worship, as it were. But then in the second half of the verse, he turns from addressing the congregation to address his own soul. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. So it's not just the congregation that needs this call. His own soul needs this call to praise the Lord. And then in verse 2, he makes... A resolution, he says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So he calls the congregation to praise the Lord. He calls his own soul to praise the Lord. And he resolves that he's going to praise the Lord as long as he lives, as long as he has being from the Lord. Notice a few things here. Notice that there's both an individual and a corporate element to our relationship with God as the people of God that we see here in these verses. There's the whole congregation, praise the Lord. But there's also the individual member of the congregation, praise the Lord, O my soul. And of course, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. There's a me and also a we element to our identity as believers. This is kind of like in your family. You have your first name, and that's you, that identifies you as you, but then you also have your last name, and that identifies you as part of a family, a particular family. So you have an individual identity, but you also have a familial identity. You're part of that family. It's much the same with the church, the people of God. We are individuals, yes, but we're also part of a family, the family of God has many implications. Uh, One that comes to mind is knowing that truth can encourage us to be here in worship every Sunday, unless providentially hindered. Because if we're not here, that doesn't just impact us individually. It also impacts the whole family. The body is missing a foot that day, or the body is missing a hand or an eye. There's an empty chair at the table during the family meal. That changes the dynamic and has an impact on the whole family. But if we're here, then by God's grace, we're able to be a blessing to the whole family and to be blessed by the whole family. 
Your identity is not just that you're an individual Christian. Your identity is also that you're part of a church family. And we see that dynamic here in these opening verses with the psalmist calling the congregation to praise the Lord while also calling himself individually to praise the Lord. Notice also here that it's okay to talk to yourself. That's what the psalmist does. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. He addresses his own soul. Martin Lloyd-Jones, minister of Westminster Chapel in London in the middle part of the 20th century, said this in his book on spiritual depression. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42, he's talking about, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. That's quite a claim. What about for you? Would you say you do more listening to yourself or more talking to yourself? Sometimes, sometimes I think we need to push stop on the old recording that's playing in our head and push play on the truth of God's word and the promises of the Bible. Sometimes we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves, to stop listening to lies and start speaking the truth to our own souls, even calling our souls to praise the Lord as the psalmist does here. So catch yourself listening to yourself this week and talk to yourself instead. Notice also the psalmist's resolution to praise the Lord as long as he lives, as long as he has being there in verse two. And we, of course, are called to do the same as believers today. Psalm 145, verse 2 says, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So we're to praise God every day. Not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. We're to praise God at all times, in good times and hard times. And we're to praise God continually. Just like we're to pray without ceasing, we're to praise without ceasing. As the Puritan Thomas Watson put it, the motion of our praise must be like the motion of our pulse, which beats as long as life lasts. Praise God while you have your being, for that is why you have your being. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I cannot tell how long or short my life may be, but every hour of it shall be given to the praises of my God. We praise God in corporate worship. We praise him in family worship. We praise him in private worship. We should make that the focus of those 
settings of worship, not just going through the motions, but seeking to praise the Lord in them. And praise him not just with your lips, but also with your heart. Don't be like the scribes and Pharisees who honored God with their lips while their hearts were far from him. Honor God with your lips and with your heart. Praise God in every area of your life. Think about all the different areas of your life. Praise God through all the different stages of your life that you go through. Praise him while you're young, children. Praise him through the teenage years, teenagers. Praise him when you go off to college. Praise him through all the years of marriage and parenting. Praise him in your golden years. Praise him in your final years. Let there be no chapter of your life where the praise of God is not on every page. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. You know, we praise what we love, don't we? We praise what we enjoy and delight in and are captivated by. We praise good cooking. We praise an incredible play in a game or a stunning musical performance. We praise a thought-provoking book or movie. We praise the beauty of the fall weather that we've been experiencing. We praise a cool car or a nice house or a cute pair of shoes or an adorable child. We praise what we love and enjoy and delight in and are captivated by. So as you think about the command here to praise the Lord, it's not just something to put on your to-do list for the week ahead. It's a matter of the heart. Because whatever the heart loves and enjoys and delights in and is captivated by, that's what the heart's gonna praise. So if you wanna praise God, ask him to grow in your heart a love for him. Ask him to grow in your heart a joy and a delight in him, delighting in him above all else. Ask him to work in you so that your heart is captivated by him by his beauty, by his character, by his acceptance and love, by his grace and glory. And then your heart will well up and overflow in praise of him. Then you will praise God because you love God. So praise the Lord. That's our first main point. The psalmist calls us to praise the Lord. And then he contrasts praising the Lord with putting our trust in man. Because if we put our trust in man, we of course are not praising the Lord as trustworthy. Let's consider that now under our second main point. Don't put your trust in man. Look at what he says in verse three. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Why? Verse 4 tells us why. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Why shouldn't we put our trust in man? Because in man there is no salvation. Because man dies, and when he dies, his plans die with him. Spurgeon again said, High as he stood... The want of a little air brings him down to the ground and lays him under it. Is this a being to be relied upon? 
If you put your trust in man, your trust dies when he dies. If you put your trust in God, it will live forever. Psalm 60, verses 11 and 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Put not your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in man. That's what this part of the psalm is telling us. A lot of people on both sides of the political aisle in our country tend to put their trust in princes. And while princes are important, princes are not saviors. It's better to put your trust in the savior of sinners than in the sinners. There's a canal in Canada called the Rideau Canal that my family and I have been ice skating on. Perhaps you've been there. And at certain times of the year, the ice is so thick that a truck, a snowplow truck, can drive right down the Rideau Canal without falling through. Putting our trust in the Lord is like stepping out onto the thick ice of that canal. Putting our trust in man is like stepping out onto the thin ice of a pond that's barely frozen. That ice can't hold our weight. It'll shatter under our feet and down we'll go into the ice cold water. Man cannot hold the weight of our heart's trust. Only God can hold the weight of our heart's trust. We put our trust in man whenever we give to man what we should only give to God. And we put our trust in man whenever we try to get from man what we can only get from God. We put our trust in man when we look to our spouse for the kind of love that only God can give us. Not that it's wrong to want to be loved by your spouse, but there's a kind of love that can only come from God and not a fellow sinner like us. We put our trust in man when we try to get from our children the kind of security and peace that can only come from God. We put our trust in man when we look to our peers for the acceptance and the approval that can only be found in the Lord. We put our trust in man when we look to our supervisor or our teacher or our coach or even our pastor for the affirmation and validation that can only be found, only be found in God through the gospel. We put our trust in man when we put all our eggs in the basket of a sports team. Or again, when we put way too much hope in a certain political outcome. Or way too much hope in a certain relationship, a certain friendship. We put our trust in man whenever we give to man what we should only give to God. Or whenever we try to get from man what we can only get from God. It's easy to put our trust in man instead of God. Because if we're honest, man seems more real than God sometimes. Other people we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch with our hands and have an audible back and forth conversation with. So they might seem more real, more trustable than God. But they're just characters in the story. 
while God is the author. So in a sense, he's more real than they are because their reality depends on his reality. They exist because he exists and causes them to exist. Though we can't see him or hear him or touch him or converse with him like we can with other people, to know him is far more wonderful than to know any other person. To know the creator is a more profound privilege than to know any creature. To know the author is better than to know any of the characters. God is more worthy of our trust than man. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It would be useful for each of us to spend some time this evening, perhaps before we go to bed, thinking about this particular question. Who do I tend to put my trust in? The kind of trust that I should only give to God. Who do I tend to put my trust in? It says, put not your trust in princes. So who are the princes in my life? I tend to put my trust in. Think about that, ponder that. And if you're able to sort of fill in the blank with those princes that you tend to put your trust in, consider, is that person really more worthy of my trust than God? Would it be wiser for me to give my heart to that person or to God? Should I lean my weight onto the thin ice of that barely frozen pond or onto the ice of that canal that you could drive a truck on? Put not your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in man. Instead, put your trust in God. Our third main point this evening, put your trust in in God. In the remaining verses of the psalm, the psalmist contrasts putting our trust in princes with putting our trust in the Lord. When we put our trust in the Lord, we praise him for his trustworthiness. We read in verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed is he, truly happy is he, whose ultimate source of help and hope is God, not man. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 42, 5 and 6, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Listen to Jeremiah 17, verses five through eight. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness 
in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Verse 5 encourages us to put our trust in the Lord. Blessed are we when we do so. And then in verse 6 and following, we're given this waterfall of reasons to put our trust in the Lord. And we could put them in four categories. Why should we put our trust in the Lord? Because he is the creator, because he is the redeemer, because he is the judge, and because he is the king. Creator, redeemer, judge, and king. First, he is the creator. Look at verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. No man made heaven and earth. The sea is not man-made. No team of scientists made all that is in the sea. Only God did that. And therefore, only God is worthy of our full trust. When you look outside and you see all the beauty, especially the, the fall beauty that we see these days, think this. Isn't the creator of all this beauty and goodness trustworthy? We should put our trust in the Lord because he is the creator. Secondly, we should put our trust in the Lord because he is the redeemer. And we see this in the last part of verse 6, really all the way down to most of the way through verse 9. Because these are all things that he does for us as his redeemed people. Last line of verse 6, who keeps faith forever. Similar to Psalm 117, praise the Lord all nations, extol him all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The Lord keeps faith forever. No man does that. No man keeps faith forever. No other person, not even the most loving person in, in your life, has a love that is as steadfast of the love of God for us. The faithfulness of even the most faithful person in your life cannot compare with the faithfulness of the Lord that endures forever. We can put our trust in him because he is faithful to his promises. Beginning of verse seven, who executes justice for the oppressed. Psalm 103, verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He does so in this life in part and in the next life in full. And we can trust his justice, because the judge of all the earth shall do what is just, and also because the judge of all the earth is also our heavenly Father. Next line of verse 7, who gives food to the hungry. 
made me think of Psalm 37, verse 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God gives us our daily bread, doesn't he? He gives physical food to our hungry bodies and spiritual food to our hungry souls. And therefore, he is worthy of our trust. Then the last line of verse 7 begins this wonderful cadence of redemptive deeds that the Lord performs on behalf of his people. The Lord sets the prisoners free. He has freed us from the prison cell of our sin. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He has opened our eyes to see the truth about him and about ourselves and about our Savior. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. He has drawn us up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set our feet upon a rock, making our steps secure, Psalm 40, verse 2. The Lord loves the righteous. Of course, not because we are righteous in ourselves, but because we are righteous in his own Son. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He watches over us as we sojourn through life in this fallen world on our way to the promised land. And he upholds the widow and the fatherless. He is the husband of the widow and the father of the fatherless. So we should put our trust in the Lord because he is the creator and because he is also the redeemer. Thirdly, though, we should put our trust in the Lord because he is the judge. End of verse 9. But the way of the wicked... He brings to ruin. Just like in Psalm 1, verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Though the wicked may prosper in this life, if they don't repent and believe in Christ, he will bring their way to ruin. Again, the judge of all the earth shall do what is just. Fourthly, we should put our trust in the Lord because he is the king. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The world may rebel against his rule, but they can never overthrow it. Human kings come and go, but the Lord reigns forever. There are no term limits on his rule. Psalm 10 verse 16 says, the Lord is king forever and ever. And because he is the king and because he reigns forever, therefore we should put our trust in him. So put your trust in God and not man. Why? Because God is the creator, because God is the redeemer, because God is the judge and because God is the king. Two final thoughts as we draw to a close this evening. Two questions. Thinking about this whole psalm. First question, why in the world would we put our trust in man and not God? Why would we do that? There is no salvation in man. Man dies and man's plans perish with him. But there is salvation in God. God will never die. God's plans will never perish. 
God made heaven and earth. He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, brings the way of the wicked to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Why would we put our ultimate trust in anyone lower than the Lord? Why would we make another person our heart's deepest trust if this is who the Lord is? The Lord does all these things. So only the Lord is worthy of our praise and our trust. So don't put your trust in man. Put your trust in God. Second, and finally, how can we put our trust in God and not man? It's really the most important question. How is all of this possible for us who are sinners by nature? Praising the Lord, not putting our trust in princes, but putting our trust in the Lord. That all sounds great, but how is all of that possible? Well, it's because of Jesus. This psalm only works, all of this that we've been talking about only works because of Christ. There is no salvation in princes, in a son of man, but there is salvation in the son of man, the prince, the prince of glory. When he died, his plans didn't perish. His death was his plan. His death accomplished our salvation. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. All our help and all our hope is in Jesus Christ. And in him we are truly blessed. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Colossians 1.16. The Lord anointed him to bring good news to the poor, Isaiah 61.1. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He has set us free from our sins and opened our eyes to the gospel. He will reign forever as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And to him belongs all the praise from the lips and hearts of his people. So how can we put our trust in God and not man? We can do it because of Jesus and what he has done for us. By the power of Jesus that we can draw on by faith every day, we can stop putting our trust in man and put our trust in the Lord. And I think it's good for us to remember, as we're about to sing together, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, 
how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Can't you say that in your own life? How you've proved his promises to be true over and over? Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. And then we humbly say, oh, for grace to trust him more. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do pray for grace to be able to trust you more in our lives. It's so easy for us to put our trust in man, but you've given us this psalm to help us to see how foolish that is and how wise and right and good it is to put our trust in you, our creator and our redeemer, the judge and the king. So help us to praise you, to put our trust in you. Give us grace to trust you more and more in our lives each new day. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.